anyways, today we're going to continue on the book of Galatians. I hope you've, uh, you've read uh, from this book in different versions, and uh, it's a very short book, but it's very, very insightful and powerful. And so I'm going to pick up at the end of chapter 2. Oh, and I do have one more announcement. So next week, okay, say with me, next Sunday. This is a Sunday where you want to bring to church someone who does not know the Lord or is backsliding or, or anything like that, okay? Because um, yesterday I got a phone call, and, um, and we're going to have a, a last-minute guest speaker come in next Sunday. His name is Chris Overstreet, and he is an evangelist. He is uh, a graduate from Bethel School Supernatural Ministry. Um, we've been listening to him for many, many years. Uh, th- this guy, I don't know how, he, how old he is, but he always looks like he's in his 20s. And, um, and he is touring through all of the United States, okay, doing outreaches and events and, you know, uh, miracle campaigns and, and all kinds of stuff going on the streets, kind of like we did on the treasure hunt, okay? He's a master at that. We would play his teachings for, uh, for the people that would go on our mission trips to Mexico. We would play his teaching on evangelism, uh, love, love evangelism. And uh, he sees amazing, crazy, wild miracles. It's, he's kind of like a Todd White, if you're familiar with Todd White. You know, and he's, uh, so he's, he's in that. And he's going to be in Phoenix. And he called and asked, say, hey, you know, uh, would you guys be interested? And I said, we would love to have Chris Overstreet uh, here next week. So, so he is amazing, and you want to bring anybody who needs Jesus, who is lost. He has a passion for the lost, and I'll tell you, this is awesome. I called him back yesterday and went to his voicemail. I think he was in a meeting, and his voicemail goes, Hi, thank you for calling. This is Chris Overstreet. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. And for the next three minutes, he's telling you the plan of salvation and how God loves you. And like, that's how you know that's an evangelist right there, okay? So, so I think we're very blessed, you know, that in such a, mar- such a short amount of time, we've had, you know, the prophet, the teacher, and now we're having an evangelist come. And the Lord spoke to me that this year is a year to activate evangelism outreach in our church, Okay. And if you, if you notice, we've, we've had an outreach. The food bank is an incredible outreach, and, and a lot of you participate in that, and we're reaching and sowing into the community. But um, uh, two weeks ago or a week ago, we went out to treasure hunt in Gilbert. How many of you came to that? Raise your hand. There's, there's quite a few of you in here, and then we had a lot of the youth also. And it was amazing. Uh, it, it, like treasure hunting means going to find God's treasures, okay? Going to find people whose hearts are ready you know, a hunger for God. And so we went to do that in downtown Gilbert, and we had an awesome experience. There was like 65 of us just hitting, you know, the downtown Gilbert, you know, at the busiest time on a, of the week. And it was an awesome experience. And so the Lord told me, this is the, this is the year to make room for the people in church that are passionate and called to do that, okay? And they want to go and do that because, you know, there's a group of, of people that we, we want to make room for everybody's gifting in the church. That's what I'm trying to say. And we haven't created a lot of outreach in evangelism uh, space in the church in the past. You know, we kind of like just 
a step at a time, you know, building blocks here. And so, so this year we had our, our first official treasure hunt, and there will be a lot more of those coming up. So if you enjoyed it, if you love it, if you thrive in that, you know, if it's your gift and your calling or something you want to grow in, just pay attention for the next one. You know, we're going to continue doing these the right way. Because we also ran into the guy in the corner of the street that was shouting, you know, hellfire and brimstone, turn or burn, you know, to everybody that was walking by. But somehow, one of our youth ended up with their microphone preaching about the love of God through that microphone. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that was pretty awesome. And so, this Sunday coming up, we're going to have Chris over street, and it's going to be awesome. So bring your heathen friends, your backslidden family members, your neighbors that don't know anybody, you just like, you just, you just come to church. They're going to end up at the altar crying their eyes out, you know, so we're going to be like, yeah, <laughs> awesome. All right. So, um, all right. God is good. Yeah, oh boy. There, there's one right there. He, he belongs to that ministry right there. <laughs> Wasn't it good? It was so good. All right. Galatians chapter, um, Two, and we're going to start over in verse, um, let's see, 15, okay? So I want to give you a little context. If you, if you haven't read Galatians or if you didn't hear two Sundays ago um, or if you don't know what this book is about, it, it's a very simple book about the gospel, okay? It's a rebuke also to some people that were mixing things up. They shouldn't have mixed things up, and I'll tell you what that means, okay? And we have uh, two main characters here. We have uh, Paul and Peter. Peter is the guy that was Jesus' disciple, okay? The very wild one, you know? He, he was a little bit rough and stubborn. He was a fisherman, okay? Jew, but he was a fisherman, okay? And uh, Peter loved Jesus, he told Jesus, I will never deny you. And then next day, he denied him three times, right? Uh, he cut somebody's ear off. So he was very emotional, very rash, very, ah, oh, you know, um, carnal in a way, right? But then what happened with Peter is Peter got filled with the Holy Spirit. And after he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he was transformed into a new man, right? A new nature was given to him. And he preached and 3,000 were saved, right? And 5,000 and 1,000 here. And, and like thousands of people were saved. And he got a new boldness when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter, right, now was one of the apostles that was there when Jesus ascended to heaven. And he was there and, and, and they were doing church, right? Now Paul, on the other hand, Paul was a Pharisee, a very, very religious one. He had all these, you know, doctorates and degrees and everything in the law and like he was like knows everything about the law okay everything about the torah right and he was persecuting christians remember he was killing christians those of the way those that were following jesus this was paul before he was paul his name was saul are you following me okay and so paul you know has an encounter with jesus and then starts preaching the jesus whom he was persecuting before okay so we have these two characters now, one thing we said uh, two weeks ago is that Peter was assigned to preach to the Jews. He had no knowledge of the law. He, he, it was not his area of expertise, right? But God wanted to use him in where, he, where he was weak, okay? To people who would respect more someone like Paul, okay? But God sent Peter 
to the Jews. And then he takes Paul, who knew everything about the law, and that was his strength, right? And he sends them to where they have no value for the law. He sends them to the Gentiles. Again, right? And the scripture clearly tells us, like, God is strong where we are, weak, okay? And so that neither of them had anything to boast about, you know, God sends them to the opposite fields where they have no expertise, no authority, no voice, okay? Because the power of the gospel is, is, is the power unto salvation, is, is, is the power of God, right? That, that's where the power is, not in words or in language or in like, you know, um, intelligence or like how much you know, but in power. That, that, are you with me? Okay. And so, so you have Peter and you have Paul, okay? They both have disciples. They both have, you know, they're both doing a, a good, a good uh, work. And we left off in the part where um, Peter was being a little hypocrite, right? And he would eat with the Gentiles. But when other religious people showed up, he kind of pulled away. And he didn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And we talked about the fear of man. And we said the fear of man and religion will make us do weird things, but it will also make us be hypocrites, right? And you would think like, well, shouldn't he have... Yeah, I mean, you want to be the same person here and outside of the church, right? But it's, it, it wasn't really about what he was doing. It was about the fear of man that he was carrying because that's what religion does. It gives us a fear of man. Okay. And so then it goes on, and we're going to keep reading here in verse, um, in verse 15. It says, you and I are Jews by birth. Okay, so this is Paul speaking to Peter. Said, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Okay, this is very, very important. Okay, so a lot of you are going to listen to things for the first time. A lot of you are going to listen to this for the 50th time or 100th time. But in all of this, it's important that we just check with our hearts where we're at. Like, I've heard this before, but where am I at? You know, is this a reality in my life? Is this truth in my heart? Or do I am, I, am I religious and am I trying to mix grace and performance, grace and the law, okay? So that's the point of this. Okay, it says, a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, why it's so important about being made right with God? Well, that's what the Bible calls righteousness, okay? The, it, when, if you're righteous, you're made right with God, and you're in right relationship with God. You're in right standing. How many of you would like to be in right standing with the IRS? We all want to be in right standing with the IRS, right? Nobody wants to be unrighteous with the IRS, right? Well, how much more do we want to be in right standing with God? Right? We want to be in right standing with God, like he's God. He's bigger than the IRS. To some of you, that's like a huge revelation right now. And that, if that's all you get out of this today, that's awesome, you know? But we want to be in right standing with God. 
You want to be in good relationship with God because what happens is when you're not in right relationship with someone, you don't want to be around them. Right? You know the reason a lot of people don't go to church? It's because they have a wrong idea of how God sees them. And they think God is mad at them. And some religious people have continually told them those lies that God is mad at them because they are unholy, unrighteous sinners because they haven't done this and that and this and that. And because of that, they stay away because you don't want to be around someone who doesn't like you or who is mad at you, right? Especially someone as powerful as the IRS, I mean, as God, (laughs) right? Because he could punish you. He could come... Take all your money. Take all your stuff. So I'm just going to stay away and hide as long as I can. Because if they can't see me, I'm probably safe. You don't know if I'm talking about God or the IRS, right? <laughs> just so you know, I am in good standing with the IRS. <laughs> and so is the church, okay? But do you see um, what we create in people or what people... You know, if they, if they think that they're not in good standing with God, they're not going to want to come close, okay? So what he's telling us here is like the only way to be in right standing with God, in right relationship, reconciled. Are we good? We're good. Are you sure we're good? We're good. Yeah, okay, great. Like, have you ever had that conversation with your spouse or with a friend? Like, uh, let's make sure we're good. Are we good? Okay, yeah, we're good. We're good. So what? You're in right standing, right? You're in right relationship now. You can be you. Oh, okay, no more walking on eggshells or Legos. Nobody likes that, right? It's, it's, ugh, it's stressful to walk on eggshells. And yet many Christians, many believers walk on eggshells with God. You shouldn't be walking on eggshells with God. Because if you're walking in eggshells with God, it's because you're looking at your performance and you're looking at you to determine if... We good. Are we good? I don't know if we're good. I don't think we're good. I was not good last week. I was not good yesterday. So what it's telling us here is that we can never, ever, ever be in right standing with God on our own account, on our own performance. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. You can try as hard as you want to. You can ride your bike through the whole country going door to door and doing this and doing that and go on mission trips and come back. And you still will not be in right standing with God by anything or any measure of what you do. Okay. Because the only way to be in right standing with God is by what? By our faith in Jesus. But suppose, okay, suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of the law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Listen. If you're living to try to earn, if you're living to try hard enough to to earn God's love, God's promises, 
God's inheritance, um, identity. If you're living to try to earn, uh, to be righteous on your own, you will never be able to live for God. Because you will be living for all these things. So your eyes will never be on God or what he's called you to do because they will be on you and what you did wrong and where you messed up. So we can't live for the law trying to earn and perform and perform and perform in order to become, in order to earn, in order to inherit the promises, in order to be good enough or in order to be in right standing with God and good relationship with God. Am I good enough? You can never live for that and then live for God. You can't. It's impossible. You'll be consumed by the law. You'll be consumed by performance. That's why Jesus came and died as us, right? In our place, what we, what, it was supposed to be us. And we were crucified with him and we rose again with him so that we wouldn't have to be consumed by performing, but we would live life out of a place of already in right relationship with God. I'm already an heir of the promises. I'm already loved, right? I'm already forgiven. I'm already chosen. I'm already righteous. So now I can live for God because I am already these things. Right? Verse 20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. That's a little harsh there, because how many of you know that it was a great sacrifice? It was a great sacrifice, right? And so, with your actions, which speak louder than words, when you say, well, you know, I'm just trying to be better for God or, or your actions are trying to earn God's love or you, you're trying to be good enough in order to be righteous or in order to be in right relationship with God. Whenever you act like that and your motives are to earn God's promises, then what you're doing is you're saying, Christ died in vain. Amen. Oh, you shouldn't have bothered. I'm trying on my own. shouldn't have bothered like all that pain and all that stuff i'm trying to i'm doing really good we think that our sin was marked with dry erase markers and that if we have enough you know good actions in our life we can erase all the dry erase sin right but it, it was not dry erase it was permanent marker it was a sharpie so there's only one way, you know, and it's to become a new creation. Whoosh, throw it away. But a lot of people have that mentality, you know, the thing like, well, I've, I've been, you know, I've been bad for 10 years. So now the next 10 years, I'm going to be really good. And then, then I'm good. It's like, no, you could never. It's, it's never enough. The law is never it will never satisfy everything.
when Jesus died and rose again, okay, he did it as us in his in, in our place, right? You weren't physically there, but spiritually you were there, you know? And the Bible talks about how we, we hold on to Christ. We, we grab on to him, right? Because he fulfilled the law in a way that you and I could never fulfill it. Okay, so this is not a very high ceiling, okay? But just pretend with me for a moment that it's like twice as high, okay? And for me to fulfill the law, it means that without running or anything, I just have to jump and touch the ceiling, okay? That's impossible. You know, not just because of my leg, <laughs> right? And not just because I'm white. <laughs> it's just impossible. It's just way too high. Like, there's no way, you know, no way I could ever touch that ceiling, there's no way. That's what it's like to, you know, try and fulfill the law. It's like, so you have a bunch of people that look like little ants, you know, you know, and, and you have these hundred foot ceilings and you're like, like, oh, I think I almost got there. Oh, I got higher than you. And that's the religious spirit. Oh, you can't jump that high, huh? And you're still like miles away from ever getting in any or close but the religious spirit is like huh i got higher than you yeah. i keep trying harder than you you know why are you not jumping anymore i'm tired i'm so tired it seems like we're never going to achieve it you're right never going to achieve it on your own right but jesus is like you know he just has these legs that are just like amazing right and he comes and he jumps and he touches the same first try done right and that's why the Bible tells us to hold on to Jesus. Because when you're holding on to him and he jumps, you're in that same jump. See? You're in that same touch. Like, he touched it, but you did too because you were on him. You were with him. You were holding on to Jesus. Okay? And that's why we can't do anything of our own. Everything that we've been called to do is in Christ, through Christ, by Christ Jesus. So let nobody boast. Like, oh, I made it. Yeah, what are you boasting about? You were like this. You were holding on to Jesus in order to fulfill it, you know? That's why all of us are equal before the Lord. I love what Brad said. It says, if you're ever fighting for equality, it's because you don't know who you are. You just... You don't know. Like, we were all like this on Jesus, and that's the only reason why we're in right standing with God. That's the only reason why you're able to come into the Holy of Holies, into the throne room, right? And to have a relationship with Jesus that is personal and unique, and that you're accepted, and where you're loved, and where you're a son and a daughter, no longer a slave. That's the only reason. It's by faith. So why would we ever try to impose that on, you know, on anybody else? You're like, well, how do we get people to then, you know, behave? How do we get people then to go to church? How do we get people to give? How do we get people to serve? Look, we don't. But some are really desperate, and so they try to, and then they go back to the law. 
And the last thing we want to do is be preaching grace from up here, but then leading with the law. Same reason why we have to learn how to use grace in our marriage, in our parenting, because how are we going to, you know, receive the grace and preach the grace, but then parent with the law? Because, you know, the tools of the law are like, you know, punishment and threats. Like, that's what it was with the law. It was like, you know, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. And if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. And if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And a lot of times we raise our kids with those same tools, even though we believe in the grace that God gave us, we just don't give it to them. Because we don't know a better way, which is why we're here every Sunday learning a better way. <laughs> and Wednesdays, if you didn't know that. Wednesdays. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's keep moving on. Are you getting something? Okay. I do not want to be the one that treats the grace of God as meaningless. You know, I say, Lord, forgive me if I ever treat your grace as meaningless. And, and here's, here's the, the practical daily thing, you know. You're trying to get something done. You're trying to achieve something. Go back in your heart and say, God, am I trying to do this on my own? You know, or are, are we doing this together? Because if I'm doing it alone, I've left the grace of God behind. See, and to a lot, of, a lot of people misinterpret that as like, okay, I'm not going to do anything until God does it. No, it, it's a co-laboring. Okay? We do our part, He does the supernatural part. Right? You apply for a job, He gives you favor, He gives you grace. Right? But you have to apply. Yeah? And you have to know you're doing it with him. Right? You, you're going in this together. Because if, if I don't, then I'm on my own. And I'm performing. And I'm spinning my wheels. And I'm, you know, driving this engine with no oil. Okay. Uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> and uh, verse, verse 1. I love this part. Oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> Foolish Galatians. I know you want to say it to the person next to you, but no. <laughs> no. Like, I'm just saying it to you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Like, we've all probably have been in the position of like, oh, foolish Ben. <laughs> Who has cast an evil spell on you? Like, okay, so these are kind of strong words, okay? Why is Paul so frustrated? Well, it just tells us right here. There's some people that are... Uh, treating the grace of God as meaningless, frustrating the grace of God, right? The version says, says, and they're, they're acting as if there was no need for Christ to die. And so he's frustrated. And he's like, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? You know, a different version says, who has bewitched you? You know, witchcraft is manipulation. That's what it is. Witchcraft is manipulation, I'm not calling anybody here a witch, but if you like to manipulate, you should recognize that that is kind of like witchcraft, and you need to stop it, because God didn't give you power to control anybody else, just you, okay? And so foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
In other words, who has come in and manipulated you with threats and punishment and fear? Okay, that's how witchcraft works. That's how manipulation works. We, we use fear to get people to do something else. Okay? And so he says, Who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Christ, Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. So what was happening, again, you know, it's the same thing. People were now uh, being told they needed to still do all these things to be in right standing with God, to inherit the promises, or to be loved by God, or to be accepted by God. Like, oh yeah, the grace of God, we receive him by faith, you know, but then you still have to get circumcised. Oh, really? Yeah, if you don't, if you don't, then you're going to be under the curse. And you have to guard the Sabbath and watch what you eat also, because if you don't, you're going to be cursed, right? That's manipulation. Fear was being used as a wrench, right, to get him to go back to do the, uh, the requirements of the law. And so, sometimes we do that. Well, that's not the grace of God, right? That's not how he operates. And so he's telling them, um, I love this part too. It says, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you'd seen a picture of his death on the cross. See, this is so... Um, so like us because we didn't see him physically, you know, there on the cross. We weren't even alive in that time, right? And so, so he's saying, you had received the meaning of Christ's death. Like, it was clear to you what it meant. It was very clear to you what that sacrifice meant. Why are you now... Subjecting yourself to this witchcraft manipulation that's telling you that you have to work for this salvation, that is telling you you have to work to be righteous, that is telling you you have to work in order to receive what was already paid for. And so I want to ask you, what meaning does the cross of Jesus Christ has in your life? You know, meaning is, is really powerful. Meaning is very, very, very powerful. It, it, makes, it makes the whole difference, right? If I walk by Robert and I don't say hi to him, it's not a big deal, right? Unless he gives it a meaning. Marley gave it a meaning right now. She laughed. Right? Like, we assign meaning to everything. I mean, we don't have to assign meaning to everything. But sometimes we assign the wrong meaning to things. And so, you know, it's saying for the meaning of Christ's death, you know, what's the meaning of Christ's death? And that's, that's the problem, that a lot of people do not know the meaning of Christ's death. And maybe you haven't assigned a meaning, or maybe you kind of inherited a meaning that somebody else gave, you know, about Christ's death, you know. 
We're like, what does it mean that Jesus died? Oh, it means I go to heaven. That's all he means? Is that all he means? It means that I'm a Christian and I don't know what it means. Like, what's the meaning of Christ's death, you know? And we assign that ourselves. Like, you have to have a revelation. And, it, and he's telling the Galatians, their meaning of that, of Jesus' death, was as clear as if they'd seen a picture of death on the cross. I remember when I was 17 years old, I, that's when I really gave my heart to the Lord. And I was at a youth conference, and the pastor said, when I saw the cross, and I saw Jesus on the cross, it changed my life. And I'm like, you're only a few years older than me. How did you see this, right? He had a, 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 a revelation of, of what it was. He asked God for a revelation. And I asked God for a revelation that day. I'm like, I want to see the cross. I want to see the cross. Because it's very different that somebody tells you about something than if you were there. Right? And you saw it with your own eyes. Right? John was at the foot of the cross. When his savior, his, his master, right, was dying on his last breath, hung on the cross by the most brutal death in that time, right? It's different when you hear about a car accident or you were in the car accident or you saw it happen before your eyes. It has a what? It has a different meaning, um, I'm running out of time, so listen to this. When there's um, there's three different ways to to create a belief system. Okay. Repetition. Um, when you're uh, in, in meditation, you know, like that's why the Bible tells us to meditate on the word day and night. Okay. Meditating on the word like, um, you can come up, Josh. And number three, um, trauma. Okay. Trauma changes people. Okay, because the trauma, and we, we mostly just have a very negative meaning to trauma, okay? But, but the way a trauma works is there's an experience that impacts you deeply, and it changes your belief system, okay? Stay with me for a second. John, at the cross, experienced... Or was right there, you know, at the experience of trauma. Because you can't tell me that you can watch your friend crucify like that and it does nothing to you. No. Right? Just because the authorities were doing it doesn't mean it was okay. It was a traumatic experience. And so, it changed his belief system, right? Like, John knew what he was talking about. 
Paul had an encounter with Jesus, right? That was also a form of a traumatic experience that changed his belief system. Okay? That caused him to immediately transform his life. From directly persecuting and killing that group of people to now being on their team. That's a dramatic experience. Salvation should be a traumatic experience. The kind of experience when you realize I was heading towards death, but I saw the cross, I saw the Savior, and now I know my life has changed. I put my faith on Him, and now I'm going literally, like Paul, in the other direction. Okay? And that traumatic experience should change our core belief system. Because in that salvation, you receive the meaning as clear as seeing a picture of the cross of Jesus. A new meaning to that. And so if there's anything that I would ask you today is, have you assigned the right meaning to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because there lies the reason why so many go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And so I'm like, oh no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I owe him my whole life. And that's why everything I do, say, and believe is different now. Not because it's the cool religion. Not because they have cool music. Not because... The pastor tells jokes and wears ripped jeans. Not because of any of those things, but because I had an experience, right, of salvation where I saw the cross and I have a new meaning for what he did in my life. And that changes everything. And so I want to pray this morning and I want to ask you to close your eyes. This is the reason why some people get saved so many times. Because maybe the first time, somebody scared them into heaven, right? And they said like, oh, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell, right? And so they prayed the prayer. But they had no clue, no meaning of what Jesus did. And then maybe another time happened and there was another reason. But it's really until you ask Jesus, show me the cross, and you have a revelation, and you have a meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ that is as clear as a picture, as clear as if you were there. That is when deep, true transformation actually happens in your life. Not by anything we can do, not by anything we can earn, not by our performance, but by putting our faith in Jesus, by holding on to him and grabbing of him and never letting go. Because as long as I'm holding on to him, I am righteous, I am accepted, I am loved, I'm a son, I'm his child. I am an heir to all of God's promises. All of God's promises. 
So Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning, would you give us your meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ? Would you give us your meaning? Right now, would you show us the cross? Would you show us the cross? Just as, just like John saw it when he was right there, would you show us the cross? Would you give us a revelation so that we have your meaning, your meaning, That it would be life-transforming, life-transforming in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jane, in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up front. And, um, and, and this morning, I, you know, as we, it's like we could, we could camp here for, for a long time, but I'm just going to ask you, you can stay in your seat as long as you want, you know, and and uh, if you need prayer, come up here. If you've never received Jesus in your heart, we want to pray with you. You know, I'm going to ask the team to be ready to pray for anybody who's never accepted Jesus. Maybe you've said the prayer, but you had no meaning. Just come up here and let, let uh, one of these folks pray for you. Um, if you, maybe you thought you were a believer and, or you backslid and you've been away from the Lord and you're, you realize you need, a, you need a clear picture, right? Because that's really what changes your life. It's not like joining a club. Oh, that's a, that, yeah, that kind of makes sense what they're saying. <laughs> no. You got to have a revelation that is clear of what Jesus did for you. Because he is the only way. Do you understand now how it makes absolutely no sense that oh, all religions lead to heaven? No religion, not even any religion leads to heaven. Only Jesus. He's the only one that jumped as high as he could and fulfilled the law. And he said, you want to ride? Hold on to me. It's the only way. Amen? So we thank you for the gospel. We thank you, God, for your grace, for your amazing grace, Lord. Protect us from ever going into religion or, or the works of the law or trying to perform to earn these things. But give us wisdom to know the things that we need to do to partner with you to receive your promises, God. That, that we know, that we would know that it is the place we do it from that is the difference. That we do it from a place of already accepted, already loved, already righteous, already a child that is an heir. Not to earn it. Not to work for it. So we thank you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for a clear picture and a clear meaning of what you did. And we repent and we ask you to forgive us for the times that we, we did not give it the meaning it deserved or we didn't even care to know. And we thank you for revelation this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.